I'm Pastor Daryl Curtis, preaching my 89th sermon on the biblical design of gender, point being that it has taken me almost 60 years, but I finally figured it out. If you want to be exalted in heaven, love someone sacrificially here, and the best place to start is at home with your husband or wife. The following is a presentation of the Family Life Baptist Church in Lansing, Michigan. For more audio and video content, please visit FamilyLifeBC.com. Good morning on August 28th, which is a beautiful Lord's Day morning here in Lansing, Michigan. However, we are in prayer for those on the East Coast that either have are, are, or are going to have to deal with Hurricane Irene. Lord, we ask your blessings on those on our eastern coast. For those that chose not to evacuate, we pray for their safety. And for those that evacuated, we pray that their return home will allow them to return to normalcy quickly. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, our lesson for the morning is the 89th sermon in our series on the biblical design of gender. And our text is in Mark chapter 12, verse 43 and 44, which reads as follows. So Jesus called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all who have given to the treasury, for they all put in out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had, her whole livelihood. God bless the reading of his word and let us bow our heads in a word of prayer. And now our gracious and heavenly father be pleased to please let us preach your word, not for fame or for reputation, but to the end that some might be made better, that some might benefit, that some might believe, and that some might be saved. We thank you, Lord, for the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ for the perfect teaching ministry of your blessed Holy Spirit, and we ask you to let him feed us until we want no more. In the strong and perfect name of Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Now, thank you for listening and thinking with us as we study God's word to obtain the mind of Christ, meaning to have the Bible illuminated in our minds so that we can clearly understand the principles that Jesus taught and base our daily personal decisions on those principles. We come to church because we want to be obedient to the Bible, which is the doctrine of Jesus Christ in an informed, insightful, and intelligent manner. And our takeaway point in this series on the biblical design of gender is that God has designed man as the cooperative coalition of husband and wife so that man can successfully achieve the objective that God has given us to exercise dominion over the earth, developing wisdom and knowledge in preparation for further responsibility in our eternal life. Now last week, we left Jesus teaching in the temple, telling the people to be on their watch for the appearance of the kingdom of heaven. And the people appreciated Jesus' teaching, but the Jewish religious leaders did not. Jesus did not have an academic pedigree because Joseph, the man that the Jewish leaders assumed was Jesus' father, was an humble, unlearned Galilean carpenter. 
Jesus did not matriculate from a theological seminary or a university. Jesus was not credentialed to teach by any religious association. Jesus' teaching was magnificent and without parallel, but Jesus consistently cast the Jewish leaders in a bad light. And since the Jewish leaders were doing the bad things against which Jesus taught and could not argue with the content of Jesus' teaching, they decided to denigrate Jesus' lack of credentials. Matthew chapter 21 verse 23 tells us, Now when Jesus came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? They said to Jesus, Just anyone cannot come into this temple and teach the oracles of God. You have to be approved by the association to teach in here. So who let you in? The Jewish leaders did not consider this to be a particularly good time to be challenged because the Jews were bringing their tithes of animals and grain to the temple. The Jewish leaders were already at odds with Jesus because of Jesus' interruption of tithing in the first place. Matthew chapter 21, verse 12 and 13 tell us, Then Jesus went to the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And Jesus said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer but you have made it a den of thieves. Jesus took authority over those that cooperated in the collection of the cash, and the Jewish leaders could not immediately question Jesus' authority after he cleared out the money changers because, as Matthew 21 and 14 tells us, then the blind and lame came to Jesus in the temple, and he healed them. The blind and the lame were in the temple begging those that came to contribute during the Passover for money. But they did not expect to receive the type of contribution that Jesus gave to them from those from whom they begged. The Jewish leaders didn't like that which Jesus was doing, but Jesus' action did not give them an opportunity to complain much about it. Matthew chapter 21 verse 15 through 17 tells us but when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple and saying Hosanna to the son of David they were indignant and said to him do you hear what these are saying and Jesus said to them yes have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise then Jesus left them and went out of the city to Bethany and he lodged there. But Jesus was back to teaching when the Jewish leaders accosted him. First Jesus messed with the money. Then Jesus showed the leaders up with his healing ministry. Then Jesus was back teaching the people. The Jewish leaders had to draw the line somewhere. The Jewish leaders 
couldn't argue with Jesus's healing, couldn't argue with Jesus's teaching and couldn't do much about the enthusiasm of the people. So all they had to fall back on was their old standby of Jesus's lack of proper credentials. People in religious authority often have a difficult time with those that deviate from the norm. Religious leaders either establish the norm or are enforcing it because they want the norm adhered to. There is a certain worship protocol to which we adhere, and those that deviate from protocol are admonished. Of course, that worship protocol is our protocol and not necessarily God's protocol. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21 tells us, Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, test all things, hold fast to what is good. The Holy Spirit may not abide by our protocols. Anyone can be anointed by the Spirit. God does give certain guidelines to identify those whom he places in authority, but he reserves the right to inspire anyone, male or female, black or white, Jew or Gentile, hawk or dove, Republican or Democrat, to use the gifts of the Holy Spirit. God gave the Holy Spirit to John the Baptist and sent John to the Jordan River to tell people to prepare themselves for the coming of the Messiah. The people that went to John accepting the Jewish leaders recognized that John spoke prophetically, meaning that John spoke the word of God with truth and clarity so that others could believe. But John was not recognized as a prophet by the Jewish religious leaders. John, like Jesus, did not have the proper pedigree and training. So they stiffed John. And when the Jewish leaders tried to stiff Jesus with their questions about Jesus's authority, Jesus decided to call them to task for seeking to quench John's ministry. So in Matthew chapter 21, verse 24 and 25, Jesus answered and said to them, I will also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. Where was it from? From heaven or from men? Now, the Jewish leaders have to be careful with their answer. They were at the temple as Jesus was drawing great crowds with his teaching and healing ministries, and the people were all listening. So the Jewish leaders thought carefully. Matthew chapter 21, verse 25 and 26 records, and the Jewish leaders reasoned among themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude for all count John as a prophet. The Jewish leaders are concerned about the opinion of the people. But if you are a preacher, you have to expect some opposition from the crowd. Anyone that calls out sin will inflame the crowd because the crowd generally wants to hear about the pleasures of heaven, 
not the responsibility of man. But those whose desire it is to maximize the collection have to cater to the crowd, as the Jewish leaders do in Matthew chapter 21, verse 27. So they answered and said to Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus points out that neither their authority nor their positions will save them. Just going to church or being part of a religious organization or hierarchy doesn't actually save anybody. You have to have knowledge, which they claim not to have, and to have faith as well. Matthew chapter 21, verse 27 to 32 records, And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterwards, he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, The first. Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterwards relent and believe him. Dr. E.V. Hill the pastor of the Mount Zion Baptist Church in Los Angeles, California, once related his experience as Jesse Jackson's prayer partner on a trip that Jesse took to the Middle East. During that trip, they visited Beirut, Lebanon, meeting with the Christians there. Making conversation with a fellow, Dr. Hill asked, how many Christians are there in Beirut? The fellow responded, what kind? Dr. Hill, being somewhat taken aback by the response, asked, well, what kind do y'all have? The man responded, well, here in Beirut, we have two kinds of Christians. When the government is controlled by the Christians, Christians can get a job, Christians can buy houses, and Christians are safe from persecution. But when the Muslims control the government, Christians lose their jobs. Christians lose their houses, and Christians are persecuted. And when the Muslims take over, a lot of Christians decide to become Muslims. So here in Beirut, we have two kinds of Christians. We have those that profess, and then we have those that are possessed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself teaches us that a tree is known by the fruit it bears. Matthew chapter 7 verse 17 through 19 says, Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Our Christianity will not be judged by our affiliation, but by our fruit. And the root of our tree is our belief in Jesus 
Christ. Once we believe in Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity to bear fruit in the lives of those with whom we come into contact. But to simply say that you are on the Lord's side, but then not bear fruit by loving your brother or your sister does not cut it. John tells us in 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. But although Jesus got the best of them in this encounter, the Jewish leaders were not through with Jesus. The Jews decided to call upon the authority of Rome to defeat Jesus. They approached Jesus treacherously in Matthew chapter 22, verse 15 through 17. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle Jesus in his talk. And they sent to Jesus their disciples with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth, nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now the Herodians are Jews that are subjects of Herod, the Roman appointed king of Judea. Herod lived on the largesse that he acquired by overseeing the collection of Roman taxes. Anyone that argued against the taxes that Rome imposed was cruising for a bruising. The Jewish leaders hoped that this radical teacher and Messiah, Jesus Christ, would declare the kingdom of God in Israel by giving his followers permission to not pay their taxes to the Roman Empire. The Jewish leaders wanted Jesus to thus preach against the authority of Rome, which they thought would force the Romans to execute Jesus. But Jesus answered their question with a question. Matthew chapter 22, verse 18 to 21 records, but Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought Jesus a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. The money changers were in the temple in the first place because there were two types of money used in Israel. The Jews did everyday business in Roman currency since they were under the rule of Rome. But those that administered the temple required the currency of Israel for transactions in the temple. People exchanged their Roman currency for temple money to buy that which they sacrificed to God. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 22, 24 through 26 instructs the Jews you shall truly tithe the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year. But if the journey is too long for you so that you are not able to carry the tithe, or if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, when the Lord your God has blessed you, then you shall exchange it for money, take the money in your hand, and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses. Jesus threw the money changers out of the temple for charging an exorbitant amount for each transaction. 
But the fact that the Jews had their money and the Romans had their money gave Jesus an obvious answer to the Jewish leader's question. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 21, Jesus said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Jesus' answer was both obvious and ingenious, and the Herodians recognized that they could not complain to Herod, to Rome, and even to God about Jesus' answer. But another set of Jews changed the subject, questioning Jesus about something else. Matthew chapter 22, verse 28 tells us, when the Herodians heard these words, they marveled and left Jesus and went their way. The same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were with us seven brothers. The first died after he had married, having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third, even to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. The custom of which the Sadducees are speaking is found in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5 and 6, which says, If brothers dwell together, and one of them dies and has no son, the widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go into her, take her as his wife, and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her, and it shall be that the firstborn son which she bears will succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out in Israel. The Sadducees were trying to prove that there actually was no such thing as a resurrection. The Jewish law allowed men to have several wives, but women could not have more than one husband at a time. By showing that the law of Leverite marriage would put a woman in the position of having several husbands in the resurrection, the Sadducees would hope to get Jesus to agree that having a resurrection would cause God's word to be inconsistent and to cause God unsolvable problems. Thus, they postulated, there could be no such thing as a resurrection. But since Jesus Christ has come to die, to rise from the dead, and then give his disciples a visible demonstration of the resurrection, Jesus certainly cannot agree with the Sadducees. And Jesus, having come down from heaven, actually knows the answer to the question. So Jesus sets them straight in Matthew chapter 22, verse 29 and 30, which says, Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. 
problem solved. Heaven is a different place than earth. On earth, God has designed man as the cooperative coalition of husband and wife so that man can successfully achieve the objective that God has given us to exercise dominion over the earth, developing wisdom and knowledge in preparation for further responsibility in our eternal life. In heaven, God has designed man with the same capability that he has given the angels. Paul explains it to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 47 through 50. The first man, Adam, was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord Jesus Christ from heaven. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. The resurrection of which Jesus speaks does not involve an earthly body like that of Adam, one that can die and decay in the grave but a heavenly body like that of the second man, the man from heaven, Jesus Christ. After his resurrection, Jesus Christ met two of his disciples on the Emmaus road. After the two disciples listened to Jesus' recitation of the scriptures concerning his resurrection, they invited Jesus to dine with them. And as the dinner began, Jesus reenacted the breaking of the bread at the first communion ceremony, and then, as the disciples recognized him, Jesus disappeared from their sight, which a fleshly body could not do. Luke chapter 24, verse 32 32 records Now it came to pass, as Jesus sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and Jesus vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us, while Jesus talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? Then a few days later, Jesus appeared to the disciples, including Thomas, who missed Jesus' first appearance and expressed skepticism about Jesus' resurrection. Jesus showed Thomas his heavenly body with the holes caused by the nails and the spear still in his heavenly flesh. John chapter 20 verse 27 through 29 says, Then Jesus said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And Jesus made it clear to the Sadducees that their belief that there was no resurrection was incorrect because it defied the scripture. Jesus taught in Matthew 22, verse 31 to 33, but concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God saying, 
I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at Jesus' teaching. Jesus looks at all things from an heavenly perspective, not the perspective of men. Jesus teaches us that we come to earth with an earthly perspective, like a baby that can only see life from his own point of view. An infant actually thinks when he is born that his mother's breast belongs to him and cries in protest when his breast is not immediately available, even at two o'clock in the morning. That is the self-centeredness with which we are born. But God gives us dominion over the earth so that we can develop a more mature perspective. God gives us children so that we can have the experience of selflessly caring for someone else. So that we can have the experience of giving ourselves for someone else. So we can have the experience of developing maturity in someone else so that we can reinforce the maturity that we have developed in ourselves. God gives us the things of this world as an exercise in developing the ability to give because giving is the primary skill required in leadership. God, as our leader, is the biggest giver, as he tells us in John 3, 16 and 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The things of this life are just temporary tools for learning, like middle school textbooks. God gives us his son permanently that we might have eternal life with him and that we might learn the lesson of his son Jesus Christ's sacrifice, giving his life on the cross of Calvary as a sacrifice for us. And the lesson that we are to learn through our dominion in this life is that the greatest good is to give oneself. Paul tells us in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And, and the last lesson, example, and episode of the day, Jesus points out this fact to us. In this episode, Jesus is watching the people bring their gifts to the temple. They have exchanged their Roman money for temple money, and those whose crops, flocks, and herds that God has prospered are bringing their tithes to the treasury. The Jewish leaders are rejoicing as the tithes come because the leaders have no geographical inheritance in the promised land upon which to raise crops or livestock. The Jewish leader's livelihood is a function of the gifts that they are given in the temple 
by the other tribes. Numbers chapter 18 verse 24 records, For the tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer up as a heave offering to the Lord, I have given to the Levites as an inheritance. Therefore I have said to them, Among the children of Israel, they shall have no inheritance. The more money that the people tithe, the more money that the Jewish leaders receive, and the richer in goods, in earthly goods, that the Jewish leaders become. But Jesus teaches that the size of the gift is not the most important thing. Mark chapter 12, verse 41 through 42 records, Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrant. Two mites is virtually nothing. Not only would the Jewish leaders not rejoice over two mites, the Jewish leaders would hardly acknowledge two mites because two mites wouldn't support them for two minutes. But as the Lord says to Samuel in 1 Samuel 16 and 7, For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And Jesus sees the heart of the poor widow and commends it. Our text, Mark chapter 12, verse 43 and 44 tells us, So Jesus called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury, for they all put in out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. It is important to recognize that the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance but the Lord looks at our hearts every day. The Lord's commandment is not for us to build large monuments to him, but for us to give ourselves sacrificially for one another. If, for instance, we give ourselves to our husbands or wives sacrificially, all the problems in our marriages and most of our problems in life will go away. I'm willing to bet you that if you think back over your married life, you will remember that every time you found yourself arguing with your spouse, you were arguing to get your own way about something. Jesus could easily and accurately have argued with his father that these Jews did not deserve his sacrifice. The more Jesus gave to them, the more they tried to tear Jesus down and the less they appreciated Jesus. But that was not Jesus's argument. Jesus did not count the Jews' lack of maturity, their lack of objectivity, and their lack of love against them. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 8, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, 
Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Lord did not wait for them or for us to straighten up because had he done so, he would still be waiting. But while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ gave himself on the cross of Calvary and died to pay the penalty that we owe for the sins that we have committed. And as Jesus Christ did so, he left us a commandment to follow. And it is incumbent upon those of us that are mature to do that which Jesus instructs us in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In conclusion, Paul teaches the lesson of the widow as well as the lessons of Jesus Christ in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through 11, which says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance of a man, as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and has given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It has taken me almost 60 years, but I have finally figured it out. If you want to be exalted in heaven, love someone sacrificially here and start at home with your husband or your wife. And that is our lesson for today. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you this morning for this lesson. And we ask you that you would help us to remember to follow your instruction. Not about the various rituals and ceremonies of the church, not about all of the things that are all part of the outward appearance, but help us, Lord, to have love in our hearts and help us exercise that love, particularly with those to whom we are the closest, our husbands and our wives, our families and our children. Help us, Lord, to love one another as you have loved us because you said in your word 
that all men will know that we are your disciples because of the love that we have for one another. And now, Lord, we thank you for all that are in the house today. And we ask you, Lord, that you would give us traveling mercies as we go down from this place and then bring us back once again at the appointed time. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, for rising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus we pray. Thank you for listening. We hope you were blessed by this presentation. For more audio and video content, please visit FamilyLifeBC.com.